journey of childhood cancer from a father's perspective, a parent's perspective. I've got my daughters getting involved with this podcast as well. It gives us a chance to relate to uh, people on a greater scale through the podcast, so I hope you stick with us through this journey. This week, I'm going to be talking about something that I haven't really mentioned too much in this podcast at all, and that is the actual treatment that JC received. And I'm going to start this week and keep it to the treatment she received in the very beginning, her chemotherapy regimen. Now, when she was diagnosed on January 30th of 2020, we were given forms to sign on the back of a tissue box at very early hours of the morning after flying to Milwaukee and uh, trying to give our daughter a birthday party and being told, you've got to be here now. We flew to Milwaukee, got the testing, found out what was going on. In the middle of the night, we were signing forms. Now, getting fast-forwarding a little bit until after we were released from the hospital, we waited about a month before we got a treatment plan. That treatment plan was supposed to have been talked about from Milwaukee, um, sick kids in Canada, and one other hospital that our doctor was actually working with to kind of put a plan together for how we were going to treat uh, this type of cancer. Now, I've mentioned in the past that cord plexus carcinoma does not have any standard protocols, any standard of care. It doesn't have anything written down anywhere that people can relate to in order to treat it. There's no way to do it. So they put together a plan, and they said, okay, we're going to give her five rounds of chemotherapy, and we're going to give her 30 rounds of radiation. We will do the radiation first. When that is finished, we will move forward with the chemotherapy. I've mentioned in the past that she did her 30 rounds of radiation like it was nothing. It was no big deal to her. She powered through it, came home at the end of the day, and played with zero side effects. Really, it wasn't until the end until a little bit of hair started falling out that you could even tell anything was happening, but she powered through it. That was no big deal. At the end of that radiation treatment, we were told she has no evidence of disease. There's no signs of reoccurrence where the tumor was removed. There's no signs that there's any cancer cells in her uh, her CNS fluid, so her spinal fluid. There is no signs of disease anywhere. We're going to hold off on chemo because we don't think we need to put her through it. We were ecstatic. At that point, realizing that our daughter was not going to have to go through chemotherapy, which was going to be um, detrimental to her and, and break her down even more than she may have been mentally at that point, and physically, we were, we were happy. We were excited that that was, was going to happen. But the chemotherapy setup that we were given, the plan is called ICE. Um, and I have some notes here that I'm going to read from. But ICE is a combination of drugs. Number one, the I stands for iphosphamide. The C stands for carboplatin. And the E stands for atopicide. And these drugs were to be given to her um, in the hospital, she would have, we would have to go in for five rounds. We would check into the hospital. They would pump her full of fluids so that she could be, her body was good and ready, and she was extra hydrated for this. And then in succession, those drugs were put into her body. The ifosamide would go in first, and then the other two would go a little bit faster. The ifosamide had to run um, over a longer period of time. Now, the ifosamide for her was very very detrimental. It actually uh, put her in what I would call a locked-in-the-box situation. So she was essentially, from the start of that drug until after it was completed, she was 12 hours where she could not speak, communicate, 
She couldn't move. She couldn't do anything for those 12 hours. It was extremely scary. And something that we weren't sure if that was what the problem was until, you know, we did the other drugs after that 12-hour span. After that 12 hours, she would wake up and wouldn't remember any of it, which is, that's the biggest benefit of the whole thing. But she was essentially a vegetable for 12 hours. The other two drugs went in, came out, no problems. But I remember the very first time that she had that drug and after she, you know, she started to come out of it and she was, you know, talking to me and went to go up. We had to get up to go to the bathroom and she went to stand up and her legs gave out. Completely no control. And I want to tell you that, number one, that the ICE treatment, if you look it up, it is specifically used for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, and also, and there's also use for testicular cancer. But there's no use anywhere in there for brain cancer. And the one thing, when I before I go a lot really deep into this, is that there is a certain spot, okay? There's a between the brain and everything else below it. It's something called the blood-brain barrier. Essentially, that chemotherapy and things like that, all chemotherapies will not cross that blood-brain barrier. They will not go up past where that barrier is. So therefore, these drugs are not working to get to where they need to go. Now, that's a whole other episode for me to tell you about what I think she should have had after researching it after she passed and what we think should have been done as opposed to what she was given. Um, but that's neither here nor there right now. Now, with ice therapy, the side effects, again, now these side effects, I will tell you which one she had, and they're very scary. Uh, Short-term memory loss, like I mentioned, after that 12 hours, she would wake up, nothing. Had no idea what had happened, what had gone on. And when I mean everything, I mean there was no use of her legs, her arms. She couldn't speak to me. She would wet the bed, and she, but she had no recollection of, recollection of it at all. Emotional instability, yes, she she would go through, she was, you could tell that she was locked in there. She wanted to get out. You could tell that she was in there and had no control and she would cry. She'd be very emotional because she couldn't communicate with you. Uh, muscle twitching. Now, the muscle twitching I will associate to something else here in a few minutes, but that was something that was, yes, she would, it literally looked like she was having muscle spasms in her legs and her arms. Um, and not seizures, but her like speech and language difficulties, yes. She would definitely have a lot of these symptoms, and it was very, very scary. And, um, and I'm going to talk about this first before I go into the other two drugs, but when we got out of this first therapy, we spoke about what we needed to do to possibly help this from happening again. So they introduced something that's called methylene blue. Now, methylene blue was supposed to kind of counteract what was happening with the iphosphamide. And unfortunately, I think it did worse. It made it actually uh, a worse thing. And I want to tell you real quick what it says. Um, Iphosamine-induced encephalopathy. It's a rare and serious adverse reaction. So there's no standard medication or documented effect on how to fix it. Okay, when they, when you get you put these two together, it's supposed to make things better. Um, the methylene blue is supposed to kind of counteract things, and what it did was it caused the twitching that I spoke about earlier to get very, very severe. And I mean so severe that she literally sat up in bed a couple of times, it inadvertently just sat up. That's how bad the twitching was. And her body would just be moving in the bed, her arms would be shaking, and it would take 
that 12 hours before that would go away. It was almost like her body was winding down from this treatment. And it was the worst. So we went through it twice. The methylene blue was added in the second treatment, the second chemotherapy round out of the five. We were at the point, we went through that, it got even worse. The only thing we could do, and Jason and I would, would make jokes about this, is the methylene blue would turn your pee a royal blue. And the only way we knew when that drug was completely out of her system was when the pee was a different, when it was completely clear. And that was something that we could bond over and joke about in a way to bring kind of smiles and, tea and, and, and laughter to a situation that was extremely scary, especially being that myself, um, I was in there by myself with her because my wife was home with my other two girls. So we had to split up for these treatments. So to be there by myself and see these things, it was very, very scary. And a few times I slept on the floor in a kneeling position with my arm across her to make sure that she was okay, to make sure she wouldn't just sit up and roll out of bed because it was scary to see this happen. I slept in the bed with her, um, but it was not something that I would, I would wish on anybody. It was a very scary situation. Uh, the second type of drug that goes into this is something called carboplatin. Um, and it's, it slows the growth of cancer cells. What it's supposed to do is slow the growth in other rapidly growing cells that are damaging your DNA. So that's what this um, carboplatin was supposed to be doing. And again, now this one, okay, carboplatin was mainly used in ovarian cancer by itself, okay? It's part of the ICE therapy, which the ICE therapy is for Hodgkin's lymphoma, but carboplatin by itself was used in ovarian cancer. So once again, we're staying away from the brain. We'll talk about that later. Um, the Let's see, the side effects from that drug actually were minimal. There wasn't really anything. The carboplatin that she had when it went in was almost nothing. Um, aside from just being sleepy, uh, feeling nauseous, and things, other things you would associate with chemotherapy, carboplatin was really nothing big. Uh, that's just the way it, she went in and she took that with no problem. Now, the last one, which is the atoposide, was, again, this one, testicular cancer and even some lung cancers is what that would be used by itself. Uh, there were zero side effects. Now, those those two, carboplatin and the atoposide, gave her zero side effects. The aphosamide, after that second therapy, we actually put on a... Um, an allergy list and said she cannot have this drug because she reacts so adversely to it. Um, and the last type, and then what we did after that second one is we changed it over to CCE. So we took this, the I out of the ice treatment and we put another C in there and that was for cisplatin. Now the cisplatin, testicular cancer, ovarian cancer, bladder cancer. Um, so once again, it's it's not doing exactly what you would think in the sense that these drugs were not being approved for brain cancer or things like that. Um, now what cisplatin does is it just damages the DNA. So it damages the DNA dividing cells so you can't, uh, they can't be repaired. Essentially what that's doing is it's, it's slowing and stopping the growth of cancer cells and causes them to die. That's the point of cisplatin. And what it and carboplatin, like I mentioned, it slows it slows the growth of the cancer cells, and it's supposed to again all chemotherapy is supposed to destroy 
everything in its path and start you over from scratch. But some of these are a lot more harsh than others. When she transferred over to that CCE treatment for the last three rounds, we went home a solid day earlier than we did the first two treatments, and she had almost no side effects at all. As a matter of fact, she went through those two or those three rounds with almost nothing. Like you couldn't even tell anything was going on. We got home. She'd feel a little bit nauseous here and there, but it definitely was a big change from what she had uh, experienced in the very beginning. And, you know, to step a little bit before we got those first uh, two treatments, we had to check into the hospital on October 12th. This was actually the, the day after she had her, uh, her Make-A-Wish. And we had to stay, we had to check into the hospital in order for her to get all the, you know, get the testing run, to get her hydrated, also she had to get a port put in so that she could have her chemotherapy done. And what they ended up doing is they gave her a saline solution that was, um, it was not correct. It was, it was actually, it was causing a lot of problems. And what ended up happening is her, her salt content got so low in her body that she was on the verge of seizures. And when I mean seizures, I mean for a good solid 12 hours, she was throwing up every every hour. She was getting sick. It got to the point where she could no longer hold her head up anymore. She, she could communicate with you, but she couldn't control her body, anything. It had gotten so bad that she was on the verge of a seizure. And they ended up um, super hydrating her with the right type of saline, saline solution and or the right type of solution and got her back up to where she needed to be so that we could start uh, her chemotherapy the next day. It was probably the scariest thing, if not one of the scariest things I've ever seen in the beginning of this treatment and throughout, is that her her body had reacted so horribly to just getting started with things before we even got the chemo in her body that I wasn't honestly sure if she was going to make it out. And there's a lot of things that I've seen in this in this journey, um, or again, as my wife likes to call it, the shit show. There's a lot of things that I've seen that will show you that there's a possibility that your child may not make it out of this treatment. It's so harsh. Um, and then to have treatment that's not even specific to the type of cancer they have, uh, it's essentially the same thing as splinting your finger for a broken leg. And that really, it hit home a lot once we got through that treatment, because up until then, I didn't know. I knew that the ICE treatment and the CCE treatment, I knew this was directed more towards Hodgkin's lymphoma and non-Hodgkin's. I knew that that's what it was, but not understanding in the beginning what, you know, the type of cancer and, and the, the differences between them and how uh, chemotherapies and immunotherapies and treatments uh, work differently for different types of cancers. It, I, not understanding that, it it didn't click until when she was done with all of that. She had actually gone through her high-dose treatment and her stem cell, which I will talk about in another episode, and realizing that what she should have had along the way, and something that I have now researched and looked into for other type of children that are going through brain cancer treatments or clinical trials or things of that nature, is what I believe that JC should have had is something called intrathecal chemo, where they put a port directly into the, the ventricles of the brain or they put a port in the spine. So that essentially what happens is that chemotherapy is delivered directly to the spinal fluid, which is where the cancer cells are. 
um, when JC quote unquote relapsed and what we were told was a relapse was well, you know that was it was a small pencil eraser size uh, growth that was on the base of her brain stem so it was inoperable but the problem was the chemo that she was getting was not breaking the blood-brain barrier so it wasn't even getting to the area that it needed to get to and I think that in turn led to the growth of this uh, new tumor and it led to the spread of the cancer cells because there was nothing stopping it. It was in her spinal fluid, it was in her brain, it was in the ventricles, something that before when we stopped or when we decided not to do chemo there was no evidence of disease. There was no signs of any of this in her spinal fluid. As a matter of fact when she was first diagnosed, they test her spinal fluid daily, and there was never evidence of cancer cells in her spinal fluid. And I think, unfortunately, the way that the treatment worked and the fact that it wasn't going to the area that it needed to go to, that it essentially allowed this cancer to grow because it had nothing resisting it. So the intrathecal chemo, which is what I would have liked for her to have, and had I gone back and had the opportunity, I would say, this is what I want. Um, essentially what that does is, like I said, it will inject your chemotherapy directly into your spinal fluid. It's essentially washing your body and your, in your, your brain and your spine and your, all of that with chemotherapy to wash away the cancer cells. And do I know for sure if that would have made a difference either in her quality of life or her treatment? No, of course I don't, and we'll never know that. But I think she would have had a better opportunity if her cancer was being treated like it was the cancer that it was. Um, and unfortunately, all we can do now is look back and say, well, we wish this would have happened, but we can't change it. There's nothing we can do to change the past. All we can do is con continue to push forward and change the future. And my advocacy also a lot tells people, make sure you're asking as many questions as you have to ask. Make sure you're checking. Um, you're not, you're not spending your lifetime on the internet but make sure you're doing the research you need to do to make sure you get the right type of treatments for your child. This ice therapy, this CCE therapy, I have no idea if it did anything other than cause my daughter to lose weight, cause her to throw up all the time, cause her to lose her hair, cause her to miss school, um, <clears throat> cause her to have lasting effects such as hearing loss and um, she developed palsy at one time due in, on one side of her face. I have no idea if the ice therapy or the CCE therapy caused any of that. I have no idea if doing it the intrathecal way would have made a difference. However, we were never given that option. We were never given the chance to decide what was going to work better. So, in a sense, what I'm saying is that you have to make sure that your doctors are on board with asking all the questions make sure they're on board with actually talking to other doctors and realizing that being territorial at a time when your child is fighting for their life is not necessary and it helps nobody. As a matter of fact, if you're a doctor and you're treating a patient when you're also another doctor that's remotely treating or remotely giving advice or remotely sending in their information and their advice, you have to understand that the doctor that's physically seeing that child at that moment is that child's primary care doctor. And you cannot then say that things were done wrong if you are not there. That is something that I will stand by 100% of the time, all the time. If you're not looking at me directly in the face and you're not right there treating my child, you're not getting a say in what happens in the final outcome. 
you can give your advice and we welcome it. But you have to make sure that the doctor in front of you is treating you 100% of the time. So in, in theory, the, this type of therapy was something that was thought about to be the best type of therapy at that time with the knowledge that was given to our doctors what we had in Green Bay or in, in Milwaukee. And then that was transferred to our doctors in Green Bay. And this was the best thought or the best process they thought to, to put our daughter through to give her the best chance. And essentially, the radiation, the surgeries, those all went beautifully. Uh, she had a 100% complete resection of the tumor with no side effects. She had all the radiation, uh, 30 rounds of radiation with no side effects aside from a small loss of hair in the spot where she was she had directed. So it was small loss of hair and then it came back a little bit different color which was fine. She didn't care. And then it started to fall out a little bit more on one side. Again, she did not care. That was the side effect she had from that. Done. The side effects from the chemo were lasting. She, uh, like I said, it was the hearing loss, it was uh, her appetite changes, her, her ability to taste different things. Uh, she liked new things and hated other things that you know were vice versa prior to starting that. Um, it essentially took away her chance to ever have children if that would have been an option for her. It took away um, cognitive abilities, I would say, kind of they didn't really get affected, but she got frustrated really, really easily afterward. So the mood changes definitely um, caught up to her. So these side effects that that these children have and that they go through, like I've, you know, we've often talked about, and they are sometimes worse than the actual therapy that they're going through, and that is something that is is scary um, because they don't understand why they're feeling so bad when the drugs are supposed to make them better. And we all understand that, you know, chemotherapy, you know, when we, we think of chemotherapy, we think of the loss of hair. We think of uh, being sick all the time, feeling drained, no energy, um, maybe even lack of color in your skin, like you're not, you know, outside playing and getting that ability to get that sunlight on you and things like that. We kind of think of like people that are withered away because of the way this this treatment just beats the crap out of them and essentially a lot of that is true but with kids they have the ability to bounce back because they're they're just built that way they're built to bounce back and they're built to really um, take a lot more abuse you know physically than we can as adults I think that their bodies are just their immune systems and all that their ability to heal it just it gives them the ability to bounce back but we're also giving them these types of drugs that are not they're they're FDA approved and they're approved for cancer treatment but they're not specifically approved just for kids and I've said it before and you know what my friends have said it and things like that is that there is an aisle in Walmart, at Target, at, at Walgreens, whatever, for just children's medication, whether it's cold medication, whether it's you know Tylenol or Advil or things like that, there's an aisle just for children. So if children and adults are the same, and we can treat them you know exactly the same with these chemotherapies and immunotherapies, then why do we have separate aisles for them for for you know drugs such as Advil or Tylenol? Or, or cold medicine, things like that. Why do we have separate aisles? We shouldn't if they're the same. That's the key.
understanding and getting people to understand, whether it's a doctor or a politician or uh, you know whatever, a high school principal, whatever, it doesn't matter. Getting somebody to understand that there are advancements in cancer treatments, there are advancements in chemotherapies, there are advancements in how we treat things with, uh, like I said, immunotherapy, chemotherapy, cannabinoids, and, and killer cells, and uh, CAR T-cell treatment, and things of all that nature. There's tons of research out there. The problem is getting that research directed to just be for kids, and unfortunately, that's been the biggest problem, is that there isn't a direct research link to any of these drugs just for kids. There's a direct research link to cancer as a whole, and that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing as researching children's drugs and children's treatments, because children and adults are not the same. Their bodies are not the same. They do not react the same way to these types of drugs. They do not react the same way to the types of therapies that we're putting them through. Think about this. As an adult, if you got uh, emotional instability, you could understand as an adult, as a grown human, you could understand how to deal with that emotional instability. How do I deal with being sad and not knowing why? How do I deal with being angry but not knowing why? Or being scared and not knowing why? You, as a human, as an adult, grown-up, you could figure out how to do it on your own or with the help of others. You could figure out that I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but I can I can figure it out, I can manage it, I can I can whatever you need to do to move forward, right? As a child, you don't understand. You can say, I'm mad and I don't know why, but I don't know what to do about it. I'm scared now. I'm scared that I'm feeling this way and I don't understand. They're going through this and they're innocent genuine hearts and innocent genuine brains are not able to understand why all these things are happening to them. There's muscles twitching for no reason. Literally, like I said, sitting up out of a full um, prone position, sitting straight up and or their arms twitching or me laying on the side of the bed and watching them to make sure she doesn't roll out of bed. These are things that they don't understand why it's happening and it's scary. Um, with speech and language difficulties, another one not being able to speak, not being able to communicate what's going on. As an adult, that would be scary to be locked in and not be able to do anything. But as a child, imagine that. As a child, imagine that, you're, that, you're, that your mouth is covered, that you're being held down in a bed, that your eyes are wide open and you can feel everything, but you can't do anything about it. Imagine being a six, seven, eight-year-old child, a four or five-year-old child, being in that situation not being able to understand why I'm, this is happening. You're scared to death. These drugs and these treatments are putting these children through unnecessary stress and unnecessary um, fear, unnecessary emotions that they don't need because we're not giving them the same respect, the same respect that they're that being given to adults in their cancer treatments. We're right now in the middle, we're not in the middle, we're in the very beginning of October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We give a ton of attention to breast cancer awareness. I mentioned it on my other social media. We give 
a lot of attention. And when I mean a lot of attention, I mean 99% of companies will do something pink in October, whether it's just changing the color of their logo, whether it's selling merchandise, whether it's having some kind of event that, that either talks about or just celebrates breast cancer research or benefits a breast cancer uh, organization, or they just do it just to say they're doing something for pink. Where is that same type of energy for these kids? Like, I've mentioned it a million times before. I have nothing against women that are going through this battle. You are some of the strongest people on this planet can go through this battle. Some of you have your bodies changed forever so that you can live a full life and not have to worry about the cancer and you continue to fight it and kick its ass and you guys are amazing. But these kids, we struggle and we fight and we claw and we scratch and we scream to get more awareness so that we're going through drugs and treatments like this, like ICE and CCE, ifosfamide, putting your child in a 12-hour locked-in-the-box situation, or methylene blue that makes them sit up out of a prone position or twitch until they fall off the bed and get out of bed and damn near fall on their ass because their legs are completely numb. Imagine that. Imagine that as an 8-year-old child going through this. Another friend of ours going through the same type of therapy had the same damn reaction, the same reaction to the methylene blue and ifosfamide combination. It is a problem. It is an issue that these kids are having to go through these essentially just a test to see if it'll work with no understanding of how badly it's going to make them feel and how scared they are. I will tell you forever and a day that these children are the strongest people on this planet. They're the strongest people I've ever met. They're the strongest people that I've ever had the honor of coming into contact with. They're the strongest people and those that I will continue to fight for every single day of my life. But they deserve better. They deserve 100% better than what they're getting. Um, the only way that that's going to happen is by continuing to share our stories, by continuing to take this podcast, pass it on to your friends, by continuing to take our social media, our mission at Battlecorn Care Packages, our mission, and hopefully the new name soon, Chasing Rainbows for JC, a cure for choroid plexus carcinoma. And hopefully everything that we're pushing forward for, take all of that information, run with it to your senators, to your congresspeople, to your, to your capitals. Run with it to D.C. Run with it to your state legislators, your local legislators, your assembly, your mayor, your governor. Run with it. We have got to get these kids better treatments. We have got to get these kids better options. Because this shit right here, this ice, this CC, this methylene blue, this encephalopathy, these people going, these kids going through the worst days of their lives and the worst treatments ever because they're not meant for kids okay taking an adult sized bottle and putting it in a smaller container and saying here's your kids version is not the same thing as a drug that is specifically meant for a child's body that is still developing that is still growing and you're putting drugs in them that are stopping all of that because it's the only options you have on one hand, I don't blame the doctors because they're only working with the tools they're given. But on the other hand, I do blame the doctors 
because sometimes there are other options, but you are so territorial that you will not reach out to other people to see if you've got the best option that you're giving that patient. And you're not willing to come forward and accept responsibility if it doesn't go well. You know what? You work for the patient, and your job is to make sure that patient is safe and make sure that patient is getting the best treatment possible, the best options possible that aren't going to further harm them just by getting the treatment that hopefully makes them better. Thank you guys for sticking with me through this. Um, I know that I was speaking about the ice therapy, iphosphamide, atopicide, carboplatin, and then cisplatin, as well as the methylene blue treatments. I got a little bit onto a rant there, but at the same time, these are the therapies. I urge you to look them up. I urge you to look up their side effects, look up um, their uses, and then compare it to the fact that it was used on a child with brain cancer, that really none of the drugs made any sense to be used there. Um, and the fact that there's the, the moral of the story is that there is no protocol for the type of cancer that JC had. And unfortunately, a lot of cancers out there, especially along the brain cancer side, DIPG, DMG, ATRT, none of these uh, types of cancers, the kind, I mean, I'll call them, you know, I'll call them the big four, none of them have a set protocol as to how to treat them. As a matter of fact, a lot of kids and a lot of families are told when that diagnosis comes through, we'll do everything we can to make your child comfortable, but there's nothing we can do, and your child is going to die from this. And to hear a mother tell me that, and to hear them say that, is horrible. A lot of that is on the doctor for essentially giving up, but at the same time, like I said, a lot of that is because they just don't have any tools in the toolbox to fix it. We need to make that difference. We need to make that change. And here, in our house, at this podcast, at Battle Corn, at Chasing Rainbows for JC, everything that we do, we are doing everything to make a difference and make it better. So I thank you guys for sticking with me through all of this. I will get this um, episode out there, and we'll hopefully get another episode. The next one, I think I'm going to have my wife Trish with me, and we're going to have a session just kind of talking about everything we've been through and the the last, maybe the last couple of months, what we've been doing, um, hopefully the progress that we have on moving forward with uh, some legislation around here, as well as some new research that I've been able to um, come in contact with, and hopefully that will be able to be put out there. So thank you guys for sticking with me. I will talk to you all next week.